Meet Reed Lance Rosenthal, rancher, number one best-selling, award-winning author, and unabashedly, unapologetically on the right side of the outstanding issues of our generation. But don't try to fence him in. Sometimes his positions will surprise you because Reed is definitely his own man with his own opinions. You might love him, you might hate him, but you won't be able to stop listening. Step over to the right side with Reed. Howdy listeners from coast to coast, the Gulf to Canada, and around the globe. This is Reed Lance Rosenthal on the Right Side Radio. Hope you had a good week. I am back from book signing in Iowa, which was great. Thank you, Iowa. Thank you, Western Idaho. You folks rock. You do. And we're going to have our little rant story for you today, and of course the founder's quote. And if you remember last week, I gave you a rather impassioned history of the Declaration of Independence. I've gotten a lot of responses on that. People really like that show. May I suggest, if you have not listened to it, that you do. It is very apropos to what's going on today. 1776 all over again. On the right side, radio.com. And we're going to kind of continue this reminder of who we are and how we came to be and what we stand for and the courage of the founders and the wisdom of the founders in setting up this Republican form of government that we have again today with the history of the Constitution. And next week, we're going to talk about the Bill of Rights. And the week after that, we're going to talk about what it all means and the word treason. And then I'm going to have some startling rat-a-tat-tat for you once again on a wide gamut of subjects. More studies coming out on the COVID thing, the COVID jab. Some new kind of panic-laced nonsense cropping up in India. And, oh, wow, Moderna and Fauci involved? Oh, how could that be? Oh, tell me it ain't so, Joe. And some really interesting cases at the Supreme Court. In fact, huge cases, which, of course, nobody is covering or talking about. And a host of other kind of eye-popping subjects. And, of course, at the end of this historical story on the Constitution, our founding document, the supreme law of the land, by its own words and text, I'm going to tell you the rest of the story. But without further ado, let's get started, shall we? First of all, Thomas Jefferson. I've been on a Thomas Jefferson roll here the past month or so. Quote, Sometimes it is said that man cannot be trusted with the government of himself. Can he then be trusted with the government of others? Or have we found angels in the form of kings to govern him? Let history answer this question. And we all know, folks, what the historical answer to that question is. We're watching it in real time right now. And then, of course, we have our rant story. You know, in the course of these book signings, these various venues have different days for different folks. They have senior days and they have kids days and they also have disability days. And on those days particularly, you see lots of folks with lots of physical and mental problems. The huge majority, of course, are as nice as they can be and your heart kind of goes out to them. And one of the things I've learned over the years, particularly on those days at those events, is to be thankful for what you have, the health you have, the mental faculties you have, the loved ones who have the same. Because in the end, everything is relative, is it not? And your plight, no matter how desperate or bad you think it is, that desperation and that uh, upside-down pendulum of life is always worse for someone else. Be thankful for what you have. And now let's talk about our Constitution, shall we? The Constitution replaced the Articles of Confederation, and though this is not widely discussed, from the time of the end of the Revolutionary War and America's independence, the surrender at Yorktown by Cornwallis, 
The 13 colonies, or states as they were then known, were governed by a rather loose federal, quote-unquote, confederation. And the confederation was so loose and lacked so much power that it could barely make decisions to govern the 13 states as a whole. It could not really raise an army. It had no power to levy taxes, which might have been a good thing. But in other words, it could not generate revenues to sustain its governing capabilities. It had no authority to interfere with the increasingly rancorous squabbles between the various states over trade and commerce and all sorts of things. And America at that point in time, literally 1885, 1886, was on the point of breaking up into 13 countries. That's how rancorous the arguments and disputes had become between the states, and the Confederation was powerless. Some of the original founders managed to concoct a scheme, thankfully, to gather a convention of delegates, which was originally called to reform the Articles of Confederation. In other words, to rewrite, to patch up, to fix what was wrong in those articles. But that convention actually became a convention to throw out the articles and to replace it with the Constitution. The Constitution was written during the summer of 1787 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Fifty-five delegates, and the rancor, at first at least, that had been growing amongst the states spilled out into the convention, which, by the way, was conducted completely outside the public view, completely behind closed doors with armed guards. Delegates from the small and large states disagreed over whether the number of representatives in the new federal legislature should be the same for each state like it was under the Articles of Confederation, or different depending on a state's population. Some of the northern states wanted to abolish slavery or to make representation dependent on the size only of a state's free population. And of course, the southern delegates threatened to abandon the convention if their demands to keep slavery and the slave trade legal and to count slaves for representation purposes were not met. It was the Connecticut delegation that put forth a proposal which came to be known as the Great Compromise and it created a bicameral, in other words a kind of dual legislature at the federal level with a Senate in which all the states would be equally represented, two senators per state, and a House of Representatives in which representation would be apportioned on the basis of the state's free population plus three-fifths of its enslaved population. A further compromise on slavery to keep the southern states at the convention at all was that the delegates agreed that Congress would be prohibited from banning the importation of slaves until 1808. That's Article 1, Section 9. The Constitution was molded by several different committees, one of whom worked on form, one of whom worked on content, and when it was finally ready to go, 39 delegates signed that Constitution on September 17, 1787, and it was submitted for ratification to the 13 states on September 28th. Ironically, John Adams and Thomas Jefferson were, respectively, on ambassadorship to Great Britain and to France, and they did not sign the Constitution. One of the real plums that the delegates wanted to get to sign in terms of the states was New York, and New York was having none of this. In fact, in the end, not all the states signed the Constitution. In an effort to persuade New York to ratify the Constitution, Alexander Hamilton, John Jay, and James Madison published a series of essays on the Constitution and Republican government in New York newspapers. Their work was written under the pseudonym of Publius, P-U-B-L-I-U-S, and it was eventually collected and published in a book known as 
The Federalist. So now you know where the Federalist Papers came from. It was published in 1788, and it was kind of the exposition and defense of the Constitution. In June of 1788, the Constitution had been ratified by nine states, which was the requirement for it to go into effect. Article 7 of the Constitution. And Congress set March 4, 1789 as a date for the new government to commence proceedings, i.e. the first elections, which actually were held a little early in 1788. The holdout states, and everybody wanted all the states to sign, obviously, were holding out because they were concerned that the Constitution did not specify the rights of individual Americans. And that led us eventually to the Bill of Rights, right? Constitutional Amendments 1 through 10, which, by the way, were originally proposed as 12 amendments in 1789. 10 were ratified by all 13 states, and their adoption was certified on December 15, 1791. Next week, we're going to examine what the Bill of Rights is, how it evolved, what it means to you as an American, as a human being with inalienable rights, and what the government is doing to undermine those rights. You should note that the authors of the Constitution were really heavily influenced by the country's experience on the Articles of, of Confederation. And that document had attempted to retain as much independence and sovereignty for the states as possible and to assign to the central government, the federal government, only those nationally important functions that the states could not handle individually. But the rancor between the states and the government's inability to act during an armed uprising called the Shays Rebellion, 1786 and 87 in Massachusetts, is what kind of prompted the whole Constitutional Convention to begin with, and the end product, which was the Constitution. And the Constitution, as finally constructed, granted the federal government certain essential powers, direct taxation, and the ability to regulate interstate commerce, as just two examples. Because the framers of the Constitution were especially concerned with limiting the power of government and securing the liberty of individual Americans, they came up with the doctrine of legislative, executive, and judicial separation of powers, right, the three branches of government. And they formed it in a very almost antagonistic fashion of checks and balances, which you are certainly seeing playing out today. And they tried their best to strike a balance between liberty and authority. In a nutshell, and by the way, the link to the Constitution itself, and if you haven't read it lately, or you've never read it, heaven forbid, you should really read it. You know, it's only three pages. It's only three pages, folks, that form the foundation of all law, order, and freedom in the United States, and how various government entities and jurisdictions interact between themselves. Three pages. They're rather brilliant. That link, by the way, is in the upper right-hand corner of the homepage on the rightsideradio.com. In a nutshell, the Constitution organizes the country's basic political institutions. The main text comprises seven articles. Article 1 vests all the legislative powers in Congress, the House of Representatives, and the Senate. Each state is entitled to two senators, as you know. What you might not know is that originally... The senators were elected by the state legislatures. It was only later, decades later, that there was an amendment to the Constitution passed, which we're going to talk about next week, that allowed for direct votes to elect senators. It set the terms for the House, two years, senators, six years, and the powers that were delegated to Congress to levy taxes, borrow money, regulate interstate commerce, provide for military forces, declare war, and determine member seating and rules of procedure. And, by the way, 
impeachment proceedings. My, we've heard that word a lot in the last few years. Article 2 is about the executive branch, right? The presidency and what has become the morass and entourage and never-ending agency, bureaucrat-riddled, overweight portion of the government. And the Constitution sets forth the Electoral College, which, of course, Democratic Marxists hate. And the Constitution does not give the president a lot of power, certainly not the power that presidents have been exercising over the past few years. The power that was delegated, specifically, was commander-in-chief of the armed forces, negotiating treaties, but two-thirds of the Senate had to concur with any treaty. And, of course, that's being circumvented, I'm digressing for just a moment, with like the United Nations Small Arms Treaty and the WHO Pandemic Treaty and the Iran Nonsense Deal, which we're going to talk a little bit about in Rat-a-tat-tat. It did afford the president kind of really significant appointment powers, members of the federal judiciary, the judges, and the cabinet, all subject, however, to advice and consent, i.e. majority approval, of the Senate. That's Article 2. It's interesting to note that originally presidents were eligible for continual re-election. I mean, they could serve for life if they could get elected. But the 22nd Amendment in 1951 prohibited any person from being elected president more than twice, with a four-year term of each election, of course. There's a variety of historical and technological factors. The centralization of power in the executive branch during war, television, the internet, you name it, which have, without the blessing of the Constitution, increased the responsibilities of the office to embrace a whole bunch of other aspects of political leadership and bureaucratic power. Article 3 is the article that places the judicial power of the government in the hands of the court. The Constitution is clear that it is to be interpreted by the courts and that the Supreme Court of the United States is the final court, that is the end game, of appeal from state and lower federal courts. By the way, the power of American courts to rule on the constitutionality of laws, which is known as judicial review, is held by very few other courts in the world. And it is not, this is really interesting, explicitly granted in the Constitution. The principle of judicial review was first asserted by Supreme Court Chief Justice John Marshall. Go back to my history of the Supreme Court. I think it was a two-part series, and it was about a year, year and a half ago or so. I think you'll find it fascinating. I talk about these cases, in fact. But Marbury versus Madison, 1803, this was a huge case. It really determined the fate and the power of the Supreme Court going further. And the court ruled that it, in other words, it was ruling on its own power, that it had the authority to void any national or state law. Unfortunately, as we are all painfully aware, Congress on many occasions has given new scope to the Constitution through statutes, most of them probably unconstitutional. Like, you know, creating executive departments, think of that morass, right? The EPA, Homeland Security, you know, uh, the Justice Department, now you can go on and on down the list, it's, it makes you wretch. Congress has tried and is trying now to be involved in the federal courts. Congress basically passes everything to do with anything in the territories and the states. And they set up the executive budget system, which, of course, none of them follow or even bother to put together. There are some practices which occur kind of outside the actual letter of the Constitution, kind of based on custom and usage. And these are called constitutional elements, like the political parties, presidential nomination procedures, and the conduction of election campaigns. Article 4 
deals with the relations between the states and the privileges of the citizens of the states. This includes like the full faith and credit wording that you've heard about and requires states to recognize the official acts and the judicial proceedings of other states. In other words, get along in the sandbox, kids. And it includes the requirement that each state provide citizens from other states with all, no exception, of the privileges and immunities that are afforded the citizens of that state. And it guarantees a Republican, i.e. representative republic, form of government for each state. Article 5 talks about the procedures for amending the Constitution. That's some interesting stuff here when we get to the rest of the story. Amendments can be proposed by a two-thirds vote of both houses of Congress, or by a convention called by Congress, or the application for a convention to propose amendments if called for by the legislatures of two-thirds of the state. You know the Convention of States stuff which is going around? This is based on this constitutional principle in Article 5. When there is an amendment that is agreed upon, not agreed upon in terms of everybody agrees to the amendment, but agreed that it's far enough along it should be submitted for ratification, it has to be ratified by either three-quarters of the state legislatures or by conventions, i.e. the Convention of States, in as many states, or by a 75% vote of both houses of Congress. Article 6, which prohibits religious tests for officeholders, deals with public debts and the supremacy of the Constitution. And this is where the words which cite the document itself as the, quote, supreme law of the land, anything in the Constitution or laws of any state to the contrary notwithstanding, unquote. And Article 7, as I previously discussed with you, stipulated the Constitution would become operational after being ratified by nine states. Here's a really, really, really important part of the Constitution. It was part of the compromise that grew out of the contentious behavior of the states toward one another during the Confederation. And it was solidified in the Bill of Rights, which we're going to talk about next week, the Tenth Amendment. So any national powers, right, that's Article 1, are enumerated. The state powers are not enumerated anywhere in the Constitution. Very clever. Which creates... In effect and reality, a system whereby any powers not expressly granted to the federal government are powers that automatically are retained and may be exercised by the states. I can't tell you how critical this is at this particular point in American history. And Congress's power was further expanded, not only to what was stated in the Constitution, but what was known as the implied power. And that was also established by Chief Justice Marshall. That case was McCullough versus Maryland in 1819. Again, listen to the history of the Supreme Court on the rightsideradio.com. However, the issues of national versus state power are ongoing. It's kind of like that uneasy partial friend, partial adversary relationship between the three branches of government. And the federal grab for power has expanded through the courts otherwise or simply through acts not contested. This is why it's so important. If you have a claim, bring it. If you have a dispute, dispute. Stand up. The erosion of rights are incremental. And once lost, it is very difficult to get them back. That, in a nutshell, because we could go on for... I love talking about this stuff. We could go on for shows and shows and shows on the Constitution and all the drama that ensued in the Confederation that preceded the Representative Republic, which was formed by the Constitution, that led up to the... Constitutional Convention, which was originally billed as 
a reform convention for the Articles of Confederation. There was a little bait and switch there. But I think you will be very impressed by this three-page document. Go to that link on the rightsideradio.com upper right homepage. And now for the rest of the story. Because, you know, in these major historical stories, there's always these delicious nuggets which really make you kind of shake your head and, you know, rub your eyes and go, wow, that's amazing. So the first thing I told you was that neither Jefferson nor Adams signed the Constitution because they were overseas. Remember in the story last week about the Declaration of Independence, once again, I urge you to listen to it if you have not. Those two men, bitter adversaries for virtually their entire careers, died on the same day, which was July 4th. Remarkable. And both of those men were really the only ones of the founders, the original founders of the Declaration of Independence that were still alive at that time, not killed by natural causes or the British, who did not sign the Constitution. It's amazing. The U.S. Constitution, by the way, was written in the same Pennsylvania State House where that Declaration of Independence was signed and where George Washington received his commission as commander of the Continental Army. It's called Independence Hall and still stands today right across from the National Constitution Center. Established on November 26, 1789, by edict of George Washington, we had our first Thanksgiving. Now, everybody thinks, you know, the, they go with this fairy tale that this is about the pilgrims and the Indians. and No, it wasn't. George Washington designated that day as a Thanksgiving day, giving thanks for the Constitution being written and ratified. At 81 years old, Benjamin Franklin of Pennsylvania was the oldest delegate at the Constitutional Convention. And at the tender young age of 26, a gentleman by the name of Jonathan Dayton of New Jersey was the youngest. The very original Constitution was on display at the National Archives in Washington, D.C., but when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor, it was moved to Fort Knox for safekeeping. This is fascinating. More than 11,000, that's 11,000, amendments have been introduced in Congress only 33 have made it to the states to be ratified, and only 27 in 230-plus years. Out of 11,000 proposed amendments, only 27 have received the necessary approval from the states to actually become amendments to the Constitution. And last but not least, the United States Constitution is the shortest, i.e. three pages, Constitution on the planet Earth. It is also the longest surviving Constitution on the planet Earth. And it is up to us, folks, to make sure that it remains so. So now you have the rest of the story. So before we get into rat-a-tat-tat, and I got a pile of it, it's going to be coming at you hot, fast, and furious. Why am I doing this Constitution, Declaration of Independence, Bill of Rights? Kind of little sequence for you. The history of those incredible founding documents. Because, folks, Unless you know what you have, you won't understand what you are about to lose. And there's only one way you're not going to lose it, and that's to get off the couch. I mean, what does it take to piss you off? The border? We're going to be talking about that here in Rat-a-tat-tat. How about the money that's coming from your taxpayer wallet and going out to fund leftist groups and Ukraine and all sorts of other woke nonsense? How about the trans movement? How about education and indoctrination of your children? How about child trafficking? How about the fraud and abuse in the Defense Department? i got a story on that coming for you in Rat-a-tat-tat, too. How about the incessant, incredible, unwavering lies your government tells you about 
everything. How about the fact your government is basically trying to kill you with food, GMO, untested, <laughs> known to have side effect jabs, and to manipulate your mind through PSYOPs. Listen to my five PSYOPs shows on the rightsideradio.com, the history of PSYOPs. What is it going to take? I suggest you maybe watch a few less football games, those of you that do, and you spend those hours at your local community on the political level, writing your senators, writing your congressmen, or calling their offices, and sending money to the outfits who are protecting your rights like judicialwatch.org or the candidates of your choice. That might be far more beneficial than watching the woke NFL issue jab and mass mandates and condone athletes kneeling for the national anthem. What do you think? Now, let's talk about rat-a-tat-tat. First of all, a little constitutional-related story. So the defendants, remember that whole scam when the FBI kind of set up their nonsense kidnapping of Gretchen Whitmer, the witch, (laughs) and she is, from Michigan, who miraculously got elected again. Oh, but there's no voter fraud. Well, they were unanimously acquitted by a jury of the setup by the FBI, the corrupt FBI. And that, folks, that right, that right to a trial by jury is in your constitution. And then talk about incompetence, fraud. How about F-35B stealth fighters, supposedly the most advanced plane in the world, 135 million dollars each. I I almost choked on that. And has cost the taxpayers 1.7 trillion dollars so far. Did you know they're kind of falling out of the sky? Oh yeah. They have 8 million lines of code in them. They're so complex, technologically speaking. And remember, all that kind of stuff is a gateway for communications, which Lockheed, their builder, proudly uh, announces. But a gateway works both ways. And now it looks like China, in fact, DOD admitted in 2019, has hacked into the F-35B stealth fighters systems. And you have planes that are flying themselves and not listening to pilots' commands. What could go wrong here, nuclear-capable fighter? So the latest one was just a couple days ago. F-35 takes off from Joint Base Charleston, South Carolina. And although we didn't know it till days later because nothing is transparent, remember the Chinese balloon? The pilot lost control of the plane. The plane started flying itself a mile off the runway. The pilot ejected a Marine Corps plane. And then, the listen to this, the Marines couldn't find it for over 24 hours. They were asking the public for help. F-35 jet mystery appears to end as searchers find debris. (laughs) Marines continue to search for F-35 after mishap. And it took the Marine Corps, the United States Marine Corps, a day to find the debris field 80 miles from the runway. They couldn't track the flight path. You know, you got to scratch your head. And what about all this electronics? Who's getting paid to put that in a plane? What happened to the good old days when pilots flew planes? And the better pilot won the dogfight, not the hackable communication system that somebody somewhere is grafting money out of our taxpayer wallet and from the DOD for. For your information, in March, an F-35 crashed in Texas. In June, the DOD froze all F-35 shipments because they discovered, oh, software woes, software problems. Yeah. August 25th. Another pilot ejector from an F-35, which crashed into the ocean. That was the Navy. And in July, an F-35 crashed in Utah. This is the headline. Software glitch. 
during turbulence caused Air Force F-35 crash in Utah. Oh, well, this is just terrific. And we're paying for this, folks. So when are you going to say no? When are you going to say I'm not going to comply? When are you going to flatly say I ain't doing this anymore? Remember that old movie? The guy throws the TV out the window. I'm not going to take this anymore. It's about that time. What do you think? In fact, it's past that time. Russell Brand, right? He rocks. Six million YouTube users. YouTube just dethroned him. Guess what happened? Oh, all the left-wing media, all at once, like in a day. So this wasn't planned or anything. All came down and accused him of, you know, some kind of sexual misconduct decades ago. By anonymous accusers, of course. So he was demonetized from his platform. Russell Brand is hilariously and archly conservative. Think they're getting ready for the election? And then the CDC and all the COVID jab morons completely disregarding the studies that I've been telling you about and others that I don't even have time to tell you about are now pushing for childhood vaccinations again. They're rolling out new booster shots, folks, to keep you safe and warm and fuzzy. In the meantime, Florida, who is following the science, has published warnings against taking the jab. I quote, the shots present a subclinical and clinical myocarditis and other cardiovascular conditions for healthy people. Another one, there's an unknown risk of adverse events with each additional dose. Another one, elevated levels of spike protein persist in some people for an indefinite period of time, which increases health risk by an unknown amount. Remember all these COVID stories and a whole bunch more. Very recent, I mean fresh, within days, are on the COVID page. The link is on the homepage on the rightsideradio.com. And let's switch over to Chicago. He's talking about anti-constitution. It seems that, you know, Chicago is crime-ridden and a mess, a disaster. Grocery stores are leaving. So guess what the communist mayor of Chicago is going to do? Chicago is exploring, quote, municipally owned grocery stores to address food insecurity, unquote. Oh, can anybody spell the word communism? And I guess if the mayor doesn't like what you say or think, I guess you just don't get to buy food. What do you think? Oh, they'd never do that, would they? The mayor's name, by the way, is Brandon Johnson. And, you know, the people of Chicago elected him, so I guess they get what they deserve. Down on the border, another constitutional issue. This is all fits, fits right in. Do you understand how important these documents are? Do you understand how important it is your defense of these documents? However necessary, as set forth in the Declaration of Independence and elsewhere, and in the Federalist Papers, is. Do you understand how important the word no is? Do you understand how important the words I will not comply are? Down in Texas, Governor Abbott has cleverly deployed wire, barriers, National Guard, you name it, over the last several months. He was preparing because just a few days ago, Texas declared an invasion. And under the Constitution, and this is in Abbott's letter, the U.S. Constitution won ratification by promising the states in Article 4, Paragraph 4, that the federal government shall protect each of them against invasion by refusing to enforce the immigration laws enacted by Congress, and then he cites the laws, criminal prohibition against aliens entering the United States between authorized ports of entry. Your administration has made it clear will not honor that guarantee. The federal government's failure has forced me to invoke Article 1, Paragraph 10, Clause 3 of the U.S. Constitution, thereby enabling the state of Texas to protect its own territory against invasion by Mexican drug cartels. 
This is basically a declaration of war by Texas against the cartels and against illegal immigration. By the way, the actual clause, Article 110, Clause 3, is in the Constitution that you better get off the couch and start defending. Quote, no state shall, without the consent of Congress, lay out any duty of tonnage, keep troops or ships of war in time of peace, enter into any agreement or compact with another state, or with a foreign power, or engage in war unless actually invaded, or in such imminent danger as will not admit of delay, unquote. And I have a video on the website, Immigration Rat-a-tat-tat. What precipitated this declaration of war, basically, as allowed by the Constitution for Texas to do, is federal agents under the command of the federal government, who is supposed to be protecting Texas, pursuant to the Constitution, removing razor wire from the Texas border and helping migrants cross the border. Meanwhile, that grinning loon communist Mayorkas I warned you about two years before he was appointed sits up there in front of Congress who can't seem to get their act together to impeach him and lies his face off about how the border is secure. It is absolutely disgusting. When is it going to be enough, folks? And the new authoritarian globalist who cares about the American people or your life or your liberty, babe, that's taken over the CDC, you know, pushing the jabs, which Biden spent $1.4 billion of your tax money buying for this new jab push they're onto from Pfizer. You know, your money buying jabs from Pfizer. Do you know what kind of testing they did on it, folks, in lieu of all these studies and what's going on? Oh, they tested on 10 mice. So you should feel fine. It's safe and effective. You can rest assured. There was an article in Politico. Quote, the anti-vaccine movement is on the rise. The White House is at a loss over what to do about it. Unquote. What does the White House have to do with it? I thought this was Big Farmer. Or maybe their, their Siamese twins joined at the hip. Graft and corruption flowing between them. Well, we know that's the case. Here's a quote from the article. The mainstreaming of a once fringe movement. Oh, well, yeah, 35% of the country. That's a fringe. Has horrified federal health officials who blame it for seeding dangerous concerns conspiracy theories, and bolstering a COVID-era backlash to the nation's broader public health practices. Oh, you mean like population control, the Kissinger Papers? Listen to those shows if you haven't just a few weeks ago. But here's some good news. Just 20% of American adults got last year's booster shot, down from 79% who unfortunately got the previous booster shots. And child vaccination rates even against the flu, are measurably lower than before the pandemic. Terrific. We're making progress. But, you know, here comes the fear. Quote, and this is from all the health experts, we're going to lose lives. Health experts decry rise of vaccine skepticism, unquote. Well, first of all, let's start at the beginning. They ain't vaccines. The pharma companies admit it. I've brought you those stories. This is just another PSYOPs nonsense deal. One of you had enough folks to get off the couch. If you want to be disgusted, see what the reaction is from that creep bribemeister Peter Hotez. I brought you a story of him months ago who sleeps with Fauci, I guess. I don't know. Or Umar Shah, the Washington State Secretary of Health. Oh, well, yeah, what a, what a treat she is. See what nonsense they're spewing about this vaccine hesitancy. And then... 
Also last week, there's an article, the CD wants your trust back. It'll take time to rebuild. No, it won't take any time to rebuild CDC and NIH. It's gone, vanished, never to be seen again. We don't trust you. We don't like you, and we're not going to listen to you. I will not comply. No. Along those lines, the Gillian, and I probably mispronounce it, Barr syndrome, or GBS, this is an autoimmune disease that attacks the central nervous system. Guess what? It's rapidly on the rise. And there was a study, once again, published study, very prestigious medical journal. Let me quote. Quote, in conclusion, vaccination against COVID-19 with vector vaccines seems to increase the risk of GBS. Interestingly, the vaccine-induced GBS seems to be a different kind of disease with its own unique characteristics. GBS occurring following vaccination does differ in characteristics from GBS during the pre-COVID-19 era, unquote. Huh, couldn't have anything to do with those quote-unquote jabs, could it? Along those lines, Peru, this is another headline, Peru declares health emergency due to spikes in GBS syndrome cases. And you know what happened two years before that, folks? And that was in July that Peru declared this emergency. Well, let me give you a headline from two years ago. Peru signs deal to purchase 12 million additional doses of Pfizer vaccine in Reuters. Here's another constitutional win for you, although on the international scale. No help from our federal government, I might add. The United Nations tried to sneak through their Agenda 30 program. They sent it out. This is how slimy these people are, these Marxists. People-hating, freedom-loving, control-freak Marxists. They didn't call for a vote on this Agenda 2030, which includes smart cities and health mandates and, I mean, every kind of dystopian, Orwellian, communist, global edict you can imagine, which Biden, through Obama and Soros, would have gladly signed on to, of course. They didn't call for a vote. Oh, no, 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 no. They sent it out and said, if you don't say anything, we will consider it affirmed. I'm not making this up, right? They tried to sneak it through with... A lack of affirmation, so nobody would kind of know it'd stay under the radar. Well, guess what? 11 nations filed a objection, stopped it dead in its tracks. Do you know who those nations were, folks? Not the United States of America, not any of the Western democracies, but, and I'll give you just a few, Venezuela, Russia, Iran, and several others of that ilk. You know why? Because they are nationalists. They are not globalists. They're not kowtowing to some moron communist globalist dream of 15-minute smart cities where in Chicago the government will own the food stores. And where in, here's another little tidbit for you, in Britain they're installing surveillance cameras. And if you take your car out at the wrong time or you drive it more than 15 minutes or whatever their rules are over there by the communists running the British government and Mayor Khan there in London, how the hell did he get elected? People will sleep with the switch, or maybe a little fraud. Then you get fined. You get fined $224, in fact, for each occasion. Although if you pay it within two weeks, you can only pay 124 It's a deal, you know. Well, Londoners and the British folks have had enough. They're getting off the couch. They're tearing down the cameras. They're spray painting them. The government tried to get around this by taking the camera uh, poles down, which were easily 
torn down and vandalized and putting them in vans, you know, the vans that kind of roll around the streets, seeking you, waiting to give you fines for refusing to comply with the smart city non-driving 15-minute limit edict, which ties, of course, right into the 2030 agenda, which just got axed at the United Nations, or at least axed in the future without calling a vote. But the British people have had enough. They are not complying. They are now spray painting and finding all sorts of ways to obliterate or make useless the cameras in the vans. They've set up a chain. Millions of millions of British citizens involved in these chains of communication with a bulletin as to where any of these vans are at any time so people can avoid them. Go British, go. Maybe it's time for 1776 in Britain. And who do you think is most upset about this besides the WEF? Oh, BlackRock and State Street and Vanguard. You know, those gray shadow multinational globalist banks run by communists at your expense and supported and propped by U.S. and other government tax dollars. I wonder what upset them about this failing. Some big cases coming up in the Supreme Court, right back to the Constitution. The Missouri versus Biden case, I told you about this. This is where the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals upheld an injunction which shut down the federal government's now absolutely proven black and white censorship machines efforts. You know, they're the FBI and the CIA long denied actual collusion with big tech and other media outlets to befuddle you, to make you take experimental vaccines which might kill you and for whatever other reason they like to make you like the ukraine war because it's supporting democracy or hate maga people because they're threats to democracy it's being taken up by the supreme court and i'm telling you folks they're going to hammer the federal government and then the supreme court is going to hear another really important case which you haven't heard about and it's called loper bright enterprises versus raimondo And this case challenges a 1984 horrible precedent by the Supreme Court, which is called the Chevron defense, which is a decision that created a rule that when a law is unclear, judges have to defer to experts from guess where? Oh, the federal agencies now ripe and rife and overcome and infiltrated completely by Obama, Soros, and cadaver appointees. And the experts only have to be reasonable. That's the lowest standard in the law, folks. Any kind of motivation, anything with even a vestige of rationality can pass muster under the 84 precedent. However, this Supreme Court is probably going to throw that out. And that, along with the spike that they started driving through the power of the agencies, the unelected officials' heart, their regulatory heart, a few months ago, I brought you that case when they said the EPA overstepped its bounds, only Congress could enact a law, a regulation wasn't a law. If they throw out this precedent, the agencies are going to be powerless to regulate at any rate or level, even close to what they have enjoyed over the last 30, 40 years. And enjoyed is the wrong word. Terribly misused at the expense of America and all American citizens. Energy Environment ran a story. This will give you an idea. This was the headline. Supreme Court move could spell doom for power of federal regulators. Hallelujah. Bring on the doom. 
Next week, I'm going to tell you about three more really important cases. Oh, right. This all runs to the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. Get off the couch, folks, that are going to affect your life, your liberty, your freedoms, your health, and your finances, and your property. This is Reed Lance Rosenthal on the Right Side Radio. Thanks for listening. You think about this, folks, and let's stand up together. Remember, look in the mirror, repeat after me, and repeat it with conviction. I will muster. I will stand. I will not comply. I will never give in. I will never stop fighting. I will join with those in these United States and around the globe who love freedom as I do. And we will win. Oh, yes, we will. Keep the wind at your back. I'll talk to you next week. Please remember, if you've missed any shows, just click on Show Archive and you'll find all of his shows. We look forward to seeing you here again next week for another episode of Reed Lance Rosenthal on the right side. LifeCare provides valuable whole life insurance to cover final expenses such as medical bills, burial costs, and unpaid debt. A final expense insurance policy is fast, easy, affordable life insurance that's available to anyone between the ages of 50 and 80. No medical exams, no lengthy questionnaires, and no waiting period. The application process is quick and easy. You can even apply without having to undergo a medical examination. Just answer a few questions and we'll do the rest. With the average funeral costs skyrocketing to $11,000 and Social Security only paying $255, you need simple, affordable peace of mind for you and your whole family. Don't leave behind unpaid expenses, expenses that, if left unattended, will burden your family tremendously. Benefits include a guaranteed premium that will never increase, a guaranteed cash value, and a guaranteed death benefit that can never decrease. To find out how you can get final expense insurance with a guaranteed lifetime rate lock, call LifeCare at 800-421-0954. That's 800-421-0954. 800-421-0954. Do you own a timeshare? Well, face the facts. You made a mistake. You made a bad purchase. A timeshare is not an investment. It's a money pit that continues forever. If you use your timeshare, that's great. But if you don't and you want to legally get out of your contract, call my friends right now at the Timeshare Exit Hotline. They're an experienced team of lawyers who help good people like you get out of a timeshare contract that they just don't want. Don't throw away your money on maintenance fees. Use it for things you really want. We can help you end your timeshare contract and stop the money drain immediately. If you are ready to move on with your timeshare, call our team right now. Cancel your timeshare now with a free call. 800-879-1145. 800-879-1145. That's 800-879-1145. The number one national Amazon and Barnes & Noble best-selling Threads West, an American Saga series, recipient of 37 national awards by rancher Reed Lance Rosenthal, is Our American Story and is part of the inspiration for the 1883 miniseries. Beginning in May 1854 and set in the West, Threads West is the multi-generational, multicultural weave of the American tapestry of Europeans, Americans, the Ute, the Sioux, pre-Civil War slaves, and Spanish vaqueros, characters you will both love to hate and simply love. Each
Pollutant, two-time number one national best-selling Writer's Digest author, shouts, surpasses Lonesome Dove, more authentic than Dances with Wolves, five stars is not enough. Max McCoy, author of the Indiana Jones novels and screenwriter for Spielberg's Into the West, proclaims, epic storytelling, detail, and dialogue, rascals, passions, action, real. The Threads West epic saga is called The Gone with the Wind of the West, and the Sackets on Steroids. Get it now, Kindle, Nook, Audible, bookstores everywhere, or through the publisher, ThreadsWestSeries.com.